Hey, everybody. It's Bunny Pounds for another conversation with Christians Engaged. What an important time in history that we are living in. Um, when I got involved in political activity um, about 20 years ago, the main issue that attracted me as a homeschooling mom, as someone that was running multiple businesses in my city of Dallas, was the life issue. Um, we have an immoral imperative to rescue the unborn. And like no time in American history are we seeing a, a massive answer to all of our prayers within the body of Christ. I don't care if you're Catholic, Protestant, where you align. If you're a Bible-believing Christian, there is no way that you can think that killing unborn children is biblical. Look at Jeremiah. Look at Psalms 139. Look at the story of uh, baby Jesus in the womb of Mary and John the Baptist in the womb of Elizabeth. I can go on and on and on. And we're seeing a moment in time where Roe v. Wade, uh, a case set in 1973, could go away. Now, this does not mean that the fight is over for the unborn. It's only just beginning. Um, this will mean that every state in the union will now um, implement laws. Uh, our communities uh, will have to step up, and the Church of Jesus Christ will have to step up. And so with that in mind, I want to talk about two important issues, the sanctity of life, the moment we live in right now, and education, and the children that we love, our children and grandchildren, the indoctrination of the children that's happening in public school systems, and what do we do about that? with my friend Alan Parker from Justice Foundation. Many of you around the country are familiar with Alan's work in the Justice Foundation, but he was the lead counsel for Norma McClorvey, who was formerly Roe of Roe v. Wade from 2000 to 2012. Um, and his efforts to make sure that this legalization of um, abortion on demand goes away um, the Moral Outcry, many of y'all have heard about that amazing ministry. That is a ministry of the of the Justice Foundation providing free legal representation to um, and, a, and a nationwide petition asking the Supreme Court to reverse its abortion cases. Um, the Moral Outcry has been such an important voice around the country as Christians and people around the country say no to abortion and want to see this overturned. Uh, Alan, such a great Thank you for joining us today. Such a great day. Thank you, Bunny. It's a great honor to be with you today. Well, when I think about people, and I've told you this privately, when I think about people that have held the line for so many years and just been consistent in what God's called them to do as an attorney, as someone that has been a spokesman on this cause, you're one of those those people. I mean, you could have done anything else with your legal career, and you've chosen you and your beautiful wife to stand on the front lines of this battle. I mean, what does it feel like right now after decades of working on this issue to see what could possibly be a post-Roe world soon? Well, it's uh, very exciting and uh, can't wait for it to be over in a sense of uh, the part of it that ends up reversing Roe v. Wade. As you said, that's the first step it's kind of like ending the slave trade before they ended slavery. So no state really can ban abortion as long as Roe v. Wade is the law of the land. So uh, 
I would just say this, God called us to do it, and God is doing amazing, extraordinary, unusual things uh, to see the end of Roe v. Wade in our time right now. As someone who stood on the front lines of this battle for decades, um, I know you've had many thoughts about the body of Christ and our response or non-response even on this issue. Um, you know, from a comp- we all want to be the prophetic voices and shout and scream at the body and say, hey, guys, get your act together. But, I mean, seriously, how do you, how do you communicate when you're in churches or you're around the body of Christ to communicate on the importance of this issue and really some of our silence on it? Well, first of all, I point out Norma and Sandra's example themselves. Uh, they were Roe of Roe v. Wade and Doe of Doe v. Bolton, the two cases that brought abortion to America. Uh, both, of, both, both of them were silent for a while, but then Norma Roe began to work in abortion clinics and she saw the reality of the horrors of what goes on in abortion clinics. And then she met, changed her mind. Uh, a little girl who was a sidewalk counselor's daughter invited her to church. She heard John three sixteen. She gave her life to the uh, Lord. And then he, as he began to clean up her mind and her thinking, as she read the word, she realized what she'd done was wrong. And she got baptized publicly on ABC News, and she spent pretty much the rest of her life trying to reverse her own case. And that's what she asked us to do. So uh, you can read her testimony on our website, thejusticefoundation.org. So then Sandra, she was the Mary Doe. She never wanted an abortion at all. In fact, she was being forced to have of an abortion. And uh, they told her, if you don't have, if you don't tell that you're against abortion, we won't make you have one. And the case can go forward. And it did with incredible fraud on the court. And that story is on our website in her sworn testimony also at the Justice Foundation. But she was silent for many years. And what got her engaged was seeing the rescue movement in America. Now, that was very outspoken, very bold, trying to shut down it, but they got engaged, and both Norma, the of Roe v. Wade, was influenced by the sidewalk counselors and became a Christian and changed, and Sandra Kano, when she saw those people getting arrested, she said, I've got to do something, and she came forward publicly. Now, fast forward to today, uh, in 2017, my client, Melinda Tebow, the founder of the Moral Outcry Petition, she called me and said, Al, uh, I've been praying. She was the International Pro-Life Prayer Initiative with her husband, Denny, at the International House of Prayer in Kansas City. And as she was praying one day, she got a picture in her mind of rolling out a scroll before the Supreme Court, a petition asking them to reverse Roe v. Wade, like William Wilberforce, and the abolitionist of slavery did a petition to the parliament. If you've ever seen the movie Amazing Grace, it's a very dramatic scene. My favorite movie, my favorite movie, by the way. And I I remember sitting in the movie theater. I I digress on this topic, but everyone knows my love of William Wilberforce and that story. And I'm like crying in the movie theater, right? That God would privilege us to be called into this place of, of uh, bridging the gap in government. So uh, anyway, keep going, Alan. Yes, 
Well, I cried when I first met it because I was at a point in my life where he is in the movie. It, they haven't had much success. Right. And at that point, Norma and Sandra's motions that they filed them, we filed them for them. This is, we represented them to reverse their case. We, we took a case of theirs all the way back to the Supreme Court and the court declined to hear it. They didn't rule against us. They just said, we're not ready. They denied cert, technically it's called. We don't want to hear your case. Does not mean we rule against you. No precedential value, but it was pretty heartbreaking. And then that movie came out and I said, all right, we're going to keep going. And Melinda, I said, no, no one's ever done it before. But it, and then she said, can it be done? And I said, well, yes, there's no reason it can't be. So it should be able to be done. And we have a right to petition the government for redress of grievances. That's a constitutional right to every member of your audience, every Christian in America. That's why you can write letters to the legislature. That's why you can go testify. You're petitioning the government to correct something, redress a grievance in the uh, somewhat older language of the Constitution. So who was it that created this grievance? We, we call in the petition a crime against humanity. Like Dred Scott, the slavery decision before the Supreme Court, like Plessy versus Ferguson, the segregation case in 1896, where the Supreme Court withdrew legal protection from a class of human beings, creating a crime against humanity. Slavery and segregation withdrew legal protection. Well, so does abortion. There, there's a right to life in the Constitution. You get it, I get it, but, oh, this group of humans in the womb, we're not going to give it to them. So who do we have to petition? It wasn't the state governments that made this error, this crime. It wasn't Congress. It was the United States Supreme Court in the Roe and Doe decisions. So that's the number one reason why we petitioned the Supreme Court. The other Now, when the Lord told me to collect the women's testimonies, I prayed for about 30 days, and he gave me a scripture that your group can pray into right at this time. Isaiah 28, 14 to 22 it says, God says to the mocking judges, you don't think the overwhelming scourge will reach you because you've covered yourself with fraud and deception. And that's what Roe and Doe are, fraud and deception, particularly in Sandra's case, where she didn't even want an abortion. Um, but then the, uh, the Lord goes on to say, I will make justice the measuring line, righteousness the plumb line, hail will sweep away the refuge of lies, Waters will overflow the secret place, and your covenant with death will be annulled. Mm -hmm. The agreement with the grave will not stand. Wow. And that has, that has sustained me for 22 years. And think of the amazing things we're seeing right now, and that took us to get us to this day. We're in the Dobbs, Mississippi case. More than 30 years, it's been 30 years since the last time the Supreme Court considered whether to reverse Roe v. Wade. That was in a case called Planned Parenthood v. Casey. So what happened since then? Number one, two people who won landmark Supreme Court decisions, Norma and Sandra, have asked the Supreme Court to reverse it. That's never happened before in American history. Then there was the election of Donald Trump. And, and uh, it was the most amazing thing in American political history. Nobody ever came out of nowhere to get the presidency. And then the nomination of Neil Gorsuch 
took the nuclear option. That's what they called it. They had to radically change the rules, which the Democrats had already done, but we used it on the Supreme Court. Then Kavanaugh went through the hearing from hell. And then Rosh Hashanah came and Ruth Bader Ginsburg died. And for a Jewish person, that's the high daily holy days for repentance. And apparently she may not have died before repenting. I prayed for her salvation many times. We don't uh, rejoice over anyone's death, but it allowed Amy Coney Barrett to get on the court. And she just sailed through. And then this Dobbs case was held and considered 22 times before it was taken. And that's highly unusual. And why am I emphasizing the phrase highly unusual? In that scripture passage where the Lord told me that the covenant with death would be annulled, I had also been asking him, Lord, this is the biggest brick wall in the law. This, there's, how can anybody break through this brick wall? It's called the abortion distortion by lawyers. You don't even get normal rules of procedure. And uh, in verse 18, it says, again, this is the Lord speaking, for I, the Lord, will rise up as at Mount Perizim. I'll be stirred up as in the Valley of Gibeon to do my amazing, extraordinary, unusual alien task. And I thought, wow, okay. And Baal Perazim, my Bible had a little reference. That was a play, that name means the Lord, the master of breakthroughs. So I was asking the Lord, who's going to break through? He gave me the name, I will. And that was a place where David fought a battle against the Philistines. And he said, Lord, do you want us to fight? And will we win? Which I was also asking, not a question you ask the Lord every time. Ours is to be faithful. The results are his. But I was asking it. It was a pretty big question. And they, he told David, yes, I want you to fight. You'll win. David won. And he named it Baal Perazim, the Lord, the master of broke through, breakthroughs, because he broke through our enemies like the breaking of many waters. And you don't normally have breaking of water in a battle, but you do in pregnancy and abortion because the placenta is broken. And then the baby's either born alive or cut up into pieces and born dead. So uh, God is in this thing. That's what I want people to know. And we have to bring the children into the world. Uh, and then, as you mentioned earlier, we have to educate them the right way. Yes. So just a few more minutes on this uh, sanctity of life issue. Um, and that that's why I love you, Alan, because here God gave you a, a career in the law an understanding of our systems, but yet at the same time, you're a man of prayer and a man of the word. And and that's one of the things we're trying <laughs> to call the people to because, you know, yeah. we don't have to stay between, we don't have to be fivefold ministry gifts in behind a pulpit. You are that person in your space of influence, right, in the legal profession, and God has used you all these years in that space. And I just want to honor you for that. Um, so, Rose, let's just say Rose overturned. We, we're all believing we're going to have this great victory party. And we're all going to be crying tears of joy. That means we all have to step up in the body of Christ even more. And every local church, my call to the local church, is every local church in America better start um, adopting a crisis pregnancy center and start figuring out how they're going to get involved in, in actually helping these women and actually reversing the scourge of abortion in our land. What is your advice to the church in a post-Roe world, Alan? 
and absolutely support the local pregnancy resource centers financially and getting people involved in it, and also work with those people who are waiting to adopt newborns to get them on the state safe haven law waiting list. And because there are three main reasons for reversing Roe v. Wade that even your group should know about because they can persuade people this is the right thing to do. I believe we can reduce the anger and reduce the abortion wars and make abortion as unthinkable as slavery and segregation were with these three main arguments. And these are in our petition. They're in our briefs before the Supreme Court. And two of the arguments were cited by the or were brought up by the Supreme Court in the oral argument. One is a crime against humanity, as bad as segregation, and Justice Alito brought that up. And the, the United States attorney had to admit segregation was bad, and it should have been reversed right away. But when he asked, well, should abortion, if, if segregation had come up eight years later with no other changes, should it have been reversed then? Well, Your Honor, that's a different question. So, then, so number one, it's a crime against humanity. It's killing infant life. Number two, it hurts women. I represented 2,249 women in this Dobbs case as, who'd had abortions, asking the court to stop hurting women by allowing abortion. And many people in the mushy middle think they are helping women by doing this. But instead, the third argument is today, there's a far better alternative than killing a child available in every state called the Safe Haven Law. Under the Safe Haven Law in all 50 states, a woman can safely relinquish her child at a designated place, usually a hospital or a fire station, within a designated time after birth, usually 3, 30, 60, or 90 days, and she can be free of all burden to parent the child. So, what did Roe and Amy Coney Barrett ask this question? Doesn't the safe haven law eliminate the burden of parenting? And that's what it was. The unwanted child problem was what Roe dealt with. And they said, we don't know when life begins. Well, of course, now we do know when life begins at the moment of conception. And it's time to stop killing the child. But even if you live in a state like Texas or Arkansas or Louisiana, which will ban abortion, the woman does not have to carry that care. She does not have to parent that baby. She has to carry the baby to birth unless her life is in danger herself. But uh, we're going to take killing the child off the table. But we say, don't kill the baby. Don't hurt yourself. Please. It's mercy for the mother, justice for the baby, mercy for the mother. Give us the baby and then we'll give them. This is the fifth argument that we're gonna give them to the one to two million families which are waiting every year on a revolving basis to adopt newborn children. Uh, because it's a little known fact that 10% of American women between the ages of 15 and 44 are infertile. Six million women who can't have a baby after a year of trying. That's the definition. And uh, about or a year or two of trying, Two of those six million women every year on a rolling cohort basis, they start saying, I, I want to have a baby. I can take care of a little baby. I can give that baby love and a home. So it's the love, love, love solution. Love the baby. Don't kill it. Love the mother. If you can't take care of the baby or you simply don't want to, 
give us the baby, and then we'll give it to the waiting homes that want to love a newborn baby into maturity. So it's a, it's a great solution, which can make unthinkable abortion in the future. It is so good. And such a great plan that everybody needs to get their head wrapped around so they can communicate this. All of you leaders out there, this is how we communicate this issue. Um, Okay. So Alan, you've already in, yeah, go ahead. People can sign it. People can sign it at the moral outcry petition and their, their, their signature calling it a crime against humanity is evidence under the law of judicial precedent According to a book that amazingly came out in 2016, co-authored by Justices Kavanaugh and Gorsuch and eight other judges, before they were even on the short list for Donald Trump, way before they were on the Supreme Court, they said, if a decision has been severely criticized by the American people, and it's wrong, that's a reason to overturn it. So that book, every, every signature, is evidence. We're not supposed, normally we don't want to put pressure on the judges, burning their houses down, shutting the court. That's all obstruction of justice. But calling it a crime against humanity in a proper legal document like the moral outcry, that's how you present uh, your disagreement with the Supreme Court as to what's done. So I urge everybody to sign the moral outcry and we'll put their name in the next brief because there may be more briefs after this both at the federal and the state level, there will be a battle in every state. Even if your state is pro-life now, like Texas, where I'm talking from, uh, we're going to ban abortion. But then the other side will come back screaming and saying, we must allow abortion. So it's a battle either way. If you're in a state that allows abortion, you got to get in the battle to ban abortion. And if you're in a pro-life state, you got to defend what you got. So There's going to be a big battle every state until people understand, oh, this isn't as serious as we thought it was. Now, women, we can help the women and the baby through the safe haven law and through adoption. Yes, that is so good. And I know the body of Christ is waking up that foster care, taking care of foster care kids and adopting is such an important message for this generation. Um, Okay, so you've already moved on in a lot of ways in your mind, though, Alan, on the education issue. Parents and grandparents are starting to wake up. Uh, Wow, what are they teaching in public schools? I mean, we're seeing uh, people start engaging in school board races like never before. Um, What are you seeing and what's your heart for the for the education of our children? Well, people are outraged, and they have every right to be outraged. Uh, people, you know, and they the left uses such deceptive, nice-sounding words, like they want to do appropriate, uh, age-appropriate sex education. Sounds wonderful. Most people would agree until you realize, and they and, and that they by age-appropriate they mean you should start in kindergarten and preschool telling your children how they can have sexual pleasure with their body and explaining all the ways they can do that with themselves or friends. Yes. It's just crazy. That's what they mean. And they believe in sexual pleasure rights that because, and whether the parent wants them to have sexual pleasure. So that means I don't, I'm not going to say it, but it's it's, it's awakening children before they should be awoke, you know, not protecting their innocence, not protecting the purity of what God designed for them. It's awakening them way before they should be awakened. 
and it is grooming them to prepare them for that behavior. Yeah. It really is. That's a that's a good way to call it. So what do I think is it should be the parents' right to take their share of the education dollars for their child to the school of the parents' choice, public or private, religious or non-religious. And we litigated for that here in Texas in 1993. That was the very first case we ever took. And our successful litigation at the Texas Supreme Court opened the door for the Texas legislature to create a new kind of school. And that was a charter school run by non-government employees and non-profits. And so we've already established, you don't have to be a government school to educate people. There are hundreds of thousands of kids in charter schools, and there are tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands on waiting lists because the state put a cap on the number of charter schools that could open. Well, today, the Supreme Court has already declared that failing to include religious schools for religious parents is a discrimination on the basis of religion. The attack on school choice was that if the money goes to the parents and then they pay the schools, that that was an establishment of religion. The Supreme Court of the United States rejected that in 2005. No, no, it's the parents' money. And then if parents choose to place their child in a religious school, that's not the state that did that. It's an individual who has freedom of liberty. Religious liberty is a right also. So I think we're going to get another major victory on school choice in June in a school choice case where Maine, some cities didn't have a high school, too small. So they just paid all the high school students a voucher. Uh, and said, here, you can take this money anywhere except a religious school that you can go out of state and give it, spend it somewhere else. The court's going to strike that down and say failure to include parents of faith and their children in the education funding is an unconstitutional religious discrimination. So, and after all, why wouldn't we want to fund the education of all children, not just those in public schools? Well, and Alan, we're seeing, you know, things change even in the last couple decades. I remember I got involved, I'll be honest with you, uh, in po political activity going down to our state convention, talking to our platform committee as a homeschooling mom saying, I don't want uh, federal money or state money going to uh, religious institutions directly. Why? Because there'll probably be some strings attached. But the, where the debate has actually evolved now is if the money if the money is in you know education safety accounts right just like we have you know health savings accounts and and those that money is following the parents have jurisdiction over that it to that totally changes everything and I know our governor just recently just as a, a you know testimony um, has come out now for school choice you were able to be with Governor Abbott as he said those great words. That was a great day. Um, but just talk through, there's people that have concerns. Let's just say that. Concerns on all of this, you know, how government money can actually educate our children and it be protected. Can you speak to that specifically? Yes, it's a legitimate concern because we should always be concerned about government taking away liberty. Yes. And so, uh, but there are ways to counteract it. And 
One is vigilance. As the homeschoolers, uh, often those are the most concerned. And even under choice, you'll never be forced to take the money. So one failsafe is just don't take the money if it comes with strings. But the bills that we design specifically say there will be no more regulations than currently exist. Like there might be fire and health and safety codes. If you have 200 children in a building, you might need a fire escape, you know, that kind of thing that already exists. No new regulation of private schools and nothing of curriculum, admissions, and the things that matter the most. This is designed to get government uh, out of the business. And we sometimes the public school says, well, that's no accountability. No, school choice is real accountability in that if you, you, you put a picture like some of these public schools did of what they want your child to do in the third grade in front of my, my child's out of there the next day and my money goes with the child under school choice. That forces de-radicalization unless you're just having to be in school with a bunch of people who want that and you don't want your child around those kind of people. It allows people to decide what's best for their child. Freedom to learn where their child learns best. And it's a great injustice to take a parent's money and then by law, force them to go to a school that teaches contrary to their religious beliefs. That should never happen by the government in America. And by the way, since you were uh, deeply and graciously and importantly encouraging people to be in involved, one of the new things about school choice is there is a group called Liberty for the Kids, which is a single issue uh, school choice lobbying advocacy organization for parents and any concerned citizen to get involved. We've never had that in Texas. You know, there's pro-life groups yes. who just deal with the pro-life issue. There's gun issue, gun groups that just deal with gun. We've never had a group solely focused on getting this done. The people of Texas support it, but there is a huge, well-funded, well-lobbied-up, education establishment that currently gets the money that does not want to give it away to any parent. They'll bring up the strings because they think that's a poison pill, scare, scare parents away. Even the homeschool coalition is with us. They've surveyed their members and over, I think, 80% of their members want to accept it. And we exclude federal funding from the money in our bills because federal money does come from strings, but it's only 10% of our education funding in Texas. So we, our bills usually say you take about 70 to 80% of the money with you, but that's what we did to charter schools too. They get less money than public schools, but they do a better job with less money. That's how private schools do also. We overfund education in this state already. This is such an important topic, and I'm glad you guys are hearing from Alan because he has the stats. He knows what's going on. But even in Texas, I get this question all the time. And again, um, you know, there's lots of homeschooling organizations around the country. Look those up. But um, even in Texas, we have a problem with the rural communities being pro-public education, right, and against school choice a lot of times. And that tends to see we see what should be conservative legislators coming out against school choice. But it's because if you think about some of those rural communities, and you know this, Alan, the ISD is the main employer in those counties a lot of times. 
And so it's a fear-based agenda. It's a fear-based agenda. But real competition, I mean, we've seen that right in the medical field. Those of you guys who have ever got LASIK, right, or not not that I've gotten plastic surgery, you can tell that I haven't. But if you did, you will see competition drives down the price, right, of those because uh, insurance doesn't cover it. The same thing, if we have competition in education, the change that would make in public education would be astronomically uh, different. And and I know it would be just such a blessing because we do have economically challenged families that hold a Christian worldview that are forced to put their kids in public education. They have no choice. Um, both parents are working. And now they've got to literally almost deprogram their kids when they come home, you know, force them to watch PragerU uh, videos <laughs> over and over again to deprogram them from some of the stuff they're doing. Um, but this is such an important thing. And and why do you think this should be the num- one of the number one topics, uh, Alan, that people are thinking about and talking about in the Christian community going forward? Well, uh, in 1962, the Supreme Court of the United States said to God, we don't want you in our public schools at all. We're not going to allow voluntary prayer, hymn singing, or patriotic Christian songs, or Bible reading. And so uh, the Texas Supreme Court in 1908 refused to do that in a case called Church v. Bullock and said the result of doing that would be moral chaos and anarchy. Well, the Supreme Court introduced moral chaos and anarchy into our nation today. The children are not taught to honor and respect their parents, to follow God, that there is a God, that they'll be judged for their actions. Our country will be destroyed if we do not repent before Almighty God and if we do not begin to turn back to God as a nation. I believe that we're under the judgment of God, have been ever since 1962. Then in 1973, we began to kill children in the womb. Uh, We have sexual immorality on a uh, gross scale, and we have greed. And all four of those sins are listed in the Bible as major reasons why God even destroyed the nation of Israel and sent them into exile for 70 years. And if he would do it to his chosen people, why do we think he would not do it to America? So God is saying, America, return to me, and I will return to you. He said that many, many times in the Bible, and that's what he's saying to America. But if we don't, then truly even more horrible judgments than we have seen will come upon this nation because God wants to stop evil. He allows it to flourish for a while so that people have a time to repent. But after a time, he says, enough is enough. I'm going to stop evil. And each judgment is progressively worse, all designed to bring us back to repentance and forgiveness of sin and eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Savior, and blessing as a nation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord's, and the people groan when the wicked rule. So going back to those rural legislators, too, I just want to say this. Uh, uh, There was a Republican primary vote uh, on the first day of our primaries here in Texas, 
And 88% of the people in Texas, including every rural county, voted for school choice. The lowest it was in a small, in a rural county was 75%. So uh, the people in their districts now, so Bunny, what you're doing is so critical to get rural people engaged in their political parties and engaged with their elected officials of both parties. And they've got to be involved. They, part of it is the education establishment had, has 154 paid lobbyists in each session the last time we checked the numbers. It, it can fluctuate a little bit. And they've got superintendents and tell them, you don't want to do this. Our schools are just great. Well, the Texas schools are not performing very well academically, and they're not safe for many, many children. And we've got to do better. And it has to be the parents in the rural counties, particularly rural Republicans need to hear from people in their districts that they want school choice. I can't say the name, but I was talking to a legislator who says, that's what I need to hear. I need to hear from the people in my district. All I hear is the superintendent. So if the people don't speak up and the paid lobbyists and the superintendents are the only ones they hear from, it probably won't happen. But I believe it's time for parents to raise up and they are rising up. Okay, so your final marching orders, guys, is we're praying uh, for the Supreme Court court to overturn Roe, and then we're praying for the body of Christ to rise up and our states to take ownership of that issue on the life issue. We're voting for pro-life legislators, and we're engaging in the life issue, okay? We're all participating. Nobody is exempt from participating. So I want you volunteering at your crisis pregnancy center. I want you to get your pastor and church involved. I want you to uh, work with your legislators and make sure that we keep our states pro-life. Now, on the school choice issue, we've got to pray for the education of our children, pray that the enemy doesn't come in, pray for our our educators and our teachers and our principals and our superintendents, but we also need to to actively vote for legislators that want freedom in education, and we also need to engage on this issue. So to end that, Alan, what are the websites that everybody needs to go to? Again, Justice Foundation, Moral Outcry, and Liberty for children. Libertyforthekids.org. Libertyforthekids.org. That's the best one to get engaged in school choice. The justicefoundation.org has everything we have available. And there are a lot of free tools uh, right there. We represent people at no charge. But for example, you can stop forced abortion, which is already illegal, with some of our legal letters right on our website. So go browse around. If you've had an abortion, we offer uh, referrals to Christ-centered abortion recovery healing programs. Abortion is not the unforgivable sin, but it is a terrible sin for which we all need to repent. And um, I wouldn't mind leading the prayer if you feel okay. Yeah, Alan, and a lot of people have heard our story, and I share it um, in our on-ramp to civic engagement seminar, but my husband paid for an abortion when he was 16 and one when he was 18. And, you know, that that even for men, this issue affects them, Um, you know, and it was 10 years into our marriage before that all came out and he got really healed from that wound. Right. But as we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
And the reality is that God's bringing restoration and healing to our hearts in these areas so that we can go out and share our story and be a voice and being even more of an impact or for his kingdom. So, yes, as we close out, Alan, pray for us today. And um, I know people are going to be really, really touched by this. Well, Father, we come before you and pray for the Supreme Court of the United States first, Lord. We pray that you would protect them physically from the threats, assaults, and actual assaults that might occur against them. Protect their lives. We also ask you to protect their mind and their heart and their will, that they would stay strong for righteousness, Lord. It's time to stop killing children. It's time to stop hurting women, and we can now help them through the safe haven laws. So, Father, let them be strong and courageous, as Joshua had to be strong and very courageous. But I also believe that, as you told them back then, their protection has been withdrawn from them. You said that to the Israelites before they went into the promised land. I believe you have withdrawn the period of time where evil was allowed to flourish and their protection has been withdrawn from them. And now we're going to see the end of Roe and Doe and Casey. So thank you, Lord. Father, I pray for everyone on this that you'll speak to their heart like you did to me. You called me into this thing, Lord, and we can't do everything, but I pray that you'll have speak to each one listening to this podcast, whenever, wherever it is, how do you want them involved, Lord? We must all do a lot, actually, Lord. We must all vote. We must all be informed. We have citizenship here on earth and in heaven. So help us to be concerned, active citizens, and encourage others to do it as well. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, you guys, take our pledge to pray, vote, and engage. Join the team, and let's go change our state of Texas, Pennsylvania, and all the other 48 states that we're going to be launching in soon as we change America one heart at a time. Thank you so much. Thank you, Alan. Thank you.